This podcast makes no representations. None of this constitutes advice and your home or property may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage. So it's Lewis here. So I'm going to start with the risk warning. Uh, we make no representation. Nothing here constitutes advice. And of course, your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage. Now, the reason I'm here on my own is because this is a uh, an in betweeny sode Really, it's not warrant. Uh, this doesn't warrant a full episode because it's actually just me coming on to answer questions. So specific questions that people have asked that don't really warrant an episode in the same way that buying your house, selling your house why interest rates don't matter, what is it, you know, I'm going to do an episode on remortgaging and, and help to buy and where it's much more meaty uh, and it's a it's a full topic that warrants an actual full podcast. Whereas this is me just answering questions and there's no real um, benefit and actually I'd just be wasting Josh's time. So that's the reason I'm just doing it myself. So the reason um, we're doing this, as I say, is to one, answer a lot of questions, and two, it, it tends to be the same kind of questions. So we've got a list of questions I'm going to go through. Um, and of course, when you've, you know, if you listen to this podcast and you've got questions that you want answering specifically, then let me know and all being well, we can get to those. So the one question that gets asked the most how much can I borrow? So let's cover this off. Lenders have income multiples in the background but that's not how they assess how much you can borrow so some lenders have a cap on an income multiple of uh, typically it's four and a half times your income now that doesn't mean that every lender has that some are higher some are lower but it's a guide but what you can't do is just take your annual salary and multiply it by four and a half unless you earn more than say for example twenty five thousand pounds and you have absolutely no outgoings no credit commitments no dependents you can do it then. It may not still be accurate, but you can do it and it's going to be more accurate than, you know. So they base it on what you earn, what deductions you have from your pay slips. For example, it might be a student loan. It could be a pension. It could be that you pay into a share save scheme or a part of the cycle to work scheme and, and they take money out of you that way. It could be that you get childcare vouchers. Um, so what lenders do is they use data from the Office of National St- Statistics. That's a difficult word to say. Word to say and they take that data, they know how much, for example, a tin of beans costs, how much it costs to feed one person, two people, one person with a child, two people with a child, two people, two children. You know, they have all that information and then they make assumptions. Now, that doesn't take into account your debt. Now, in terms of debt, ideally, uh, you should keep your debt level, your what's, what's known as your debt to income ratio, below, ideally, for most lenders, 50%. So if you earn, you know, say £30,000 a year, Ideally, your unsecured debt should be below £15,000 a year. So again, with most things mortgages, it does vary, and some lenders don't have that cap in place, but uh, uh, the vast majority do have some cap in place. So in terms of how much you can borrow, it's what you earn, then it's your circumstances. Are you single? Are you together? Do you have a child? Then it's what debts you have. Now, here's the thing. It's also how long you're taking the mortgage over. So if you have a mortgage for only 10 years, the amount that you can borrow over 10 years is likely going to be different than the amount you can borrow over, say, 35 years, because the shorter the term of the mortgage, the higher the mortgage payment will be. Of course, you've still got to be able to live and pay your bills and your food and all that kind of stuff and have a life and you know money to do you know actual living things with. And therefore, a mortgage lender will apply uh, a stricter calculation 
because of the headroom that you'll have in your disposable income. So it's based upon your income, your outgoing, your circumstances, how long it's over. Your credit score and credit file can play a role, but not as much as you think. So that's how much can I borrow. Second question I'm going to fire on to is, what does loan to value mean? So LTV, loan to value. So this is simply the amount of loan you're taking against the value of the property you're either buying or remortgaging. So the house, let's say the house price is a £100,000. Let's assume that you need to borrow £75,000. Therefore, the loan to value is 75% because the loan, £75,000, against the value of £100,000 is 75%. Yeah. So for example, if a mortgage is 90% loan to value, you've got a 10% deposit. Um, so the house is, let's say, £150,000 and the loan to value is 90, 90%. It means you're borrowing 90% of the total value of that property. So 90% of 150000 is one three five. So that's what loan to value is. Now, the lower the loan to value, the better deal you'll get because the more equity you have in the property. Why does that matter? The more equity you have, the likelihood of a bank or building society, if it needs to repossess, i.e. take your home off you because you've not paid your payments, the likelihood is is that they're going to get their money back. You know, there's more of a chance they're going to get all their money back, which means that you are less of a risk, and that's why as the loan-to-value reduces and your equity becomes bigger, that's why interest rates go down because you are less of a risk when it comes to, for example, repossessing your property. That's really what it's based upon. They typically operate in 5% brackets. So the highest loan to value is 100% loan to value. There's virtually no mortgages around like that. The normal starting point is 95% loan to value where you borrow 95% of the value of the home and you put in 5%. And interest rates typically change in 5% brackets. So the highest rates are at 95%. They come down at 90, again at 85, 80, 75, 70, 65, 60. A couple of lenders have deals at 55 and 50%, but the vast majority of mortgage lenders, if you've got 40% deposit, i.e. your loan to value is 60%, that is typically the cutoff point where interest rates stop getting cheaper because you've then got, uh, well, basically, you know, if if, if a lender comes along, um, even in a, a terrible, terrible property crash and uh, recession, the likelihood is, is that if they have to repossess your home and you've got 40% equity, they're going to get their money back. So, that's what loan to value means. That's why it's important. So that's that question boxed off. The next one is, what's the difference between a fixed and a variable mortgage? Well, so a fixed rate mortgage means that at the outset, you are told what the rate you're going to be paying for, uh, what, you rate, what the rate you're going to be paying is for a period of time. So they come in various lengths, two, three, five, seven, ten are the, the ones that are typically available. The vast majority of people opt for two and five. They're the most popular. That's not to say that's the right one, but they are the most popular. The shorter that you fix an interest rate for, typically the cheaper it is. And that's because you're getting less security. So the longer you fix a mortgage rate for, typically that rate will increase bit by bit on an incremental basis 
from two years to three to five to seven to ten, where that will typically be the highest uh, fixed rate at that particular loan to value. We're back to loan to value again. Uh, and that's because you buy effectively more security. So when a mortgage rate is fixed, it means it's going to stay the same for a period of time and you'll know what that is and it will be the same on day one as it will be in year two or in year five or in year seven, year 10. And it gives people the stability and security of knowing what is my mortgage payment going to be. And as long as you make that payment, no one's going to take that house off you. A variable a variable mortgage is where it's set against something external. So there's typically two two or three types of variable mortgage. There's a Bank of England base rate tracker, which means that it sits above the Bank of England base rate, typically, you know, a percent, two percent, whatever it might be. And if the base rate rises, then your mortgage uh, rate rises at the same proportion. So if, the, if the, currently the Bank of England base rate is 0.1%, if that was to rise to 0.5%, then your mortgage rates, let's say it was 1%, would rise to 1.4% because it's gone up by 0.4%. Typically, it's the month after a base rate move, usually. Now, pros and cons are that... Well, typically, historically, trackers were cheaper. That's not necessarily the case now because most people prefer fixed rate mortgages because of the security and stability and the the, the ease of budgeting of knowing what you're going to be paying. So, but trackers can be useful. Uh, they tend not to have uh, what are called redemption penalties, which means you can make unlimited overpayments with the vast majority of not all, but the vast majority of them you can make unlimited overpayments. So that's a base rate tracker. So it mirrors something that's happening in the economy external to the actual lender. The second type of variable rate mortgage is what's called a discount variable rate. So every mortgage lender has an internal mortgage rate. It's their profitable rate. Typically, it's called an SVR, standard variable rate. If you have, for example, a fixed rate or a tracker rate, it will be for a period of time. And after that period of time, they will normally revert to the SVR, standard variable rate. Some lenders call them their own, you know, so for example, I think Barclays call it the Barclays base rate or whatever or and i think um nationwide have a specific term for theirs as do kensington mortgages the vast majority of however of mortgage lenders call it the standard variable rate and it goes by the uh, moniker of svr the standard variable rate is an internal rate set by the lender it's not based upon anything in the external uh, sorry in the, in the wider economy now it can and sometimes does move in line with base rate changes but it doesn't have to it's not pegged what's called pegged to it so it doesn't have to um there's no kind of um you know if, if the base rate goes up by two percent it doesn't mean that the standard variable rate will go up by two percent equally it, you know when base rates dropped it didn't mean that variable rates would either so a discount variable rate is a discount from the standard variable rate so let's say the standard variable rate is two percent and your mortgage deal might be a discount of two percent from the standard variable rate so then your mortgage uh, rate will be two percent Benefits of a discount variable variable rate, typically, again, there is no early redemption penalties, um, but they can rise and fall depending on what the lender decides to do. So that's the difference between a fixed and a variable mortgage rate. The most popular is fixed, and that's simply because it gives you the ease of budgeting, of knowing exactly what you're going to pay, and that that's not going to change. Um, next question. Can you make overpayments on a mortgage? Yes. The vast majority of mortgage lenders allow you to make overpayments. Typically, 
of 10% of the outstanding balance. Now, some mortgage lenders will say you can make overpayments of 10% of the original balance. So if you bought a home and you took out a £100,000 mortgage, so let's say you had a five-year fixed rate. Some mortgage lenders will say you can pay up to 10% of the original loan balance, so £10,000 per year over and above what your mortgage payments are. Most lenders, not all again, but most, will say you can pay 10% of the outstanding balance from a fixed point in time. So it's either 10% of the balance as at the anniversary of when you took the mortgage out or 10% as at January 1st, for example. Typically, 10% is the, the point. Some lenders... Uh, allow higher um, overpayments of 20%. Some fixed rates have, again, unlimited overpayments, but then you end up paying more for the fixed rate. Um, so that's you know, so that's what overpayments are. Uh, the question that follows on from that is, are overpayments go- a good idea? And the simple answer is yes. If you can afford to pay your mortgage down quicker, then yes, that will be beneficial for two reasons. One, it builds up a buffer so that in the event that something goes wrong, you've got some cushion and potentially if you've made significant overpayments, you potentially could have a mortgage holiday. Again, not all mortgage lenders allow this, but you could potentially have a mortgage holiday uh, if, for example, your income falls or you're out of work, but you've built up a buffer over time. So that's the that's one reason. The second reason is that because um, interest on a mortgage is, is on a, at a compound basis, typically calculated on a daily basis, if you make overpayments, then that means that you are reducing the capital, the total loan amount that you that you that you owe, which means that the interest generated on that now lower mortgage amount that's outstanding is less. So each time you make an overpayment and that goes off what's called the capital, you reduce the amount that you pay in interest if you do that on a regular basis you're paying off the capital quicker but you're also paying off you're paying less interest if you're paying less interest it means you're paying more capital and it, that again can have a compound effect so you know if you can afford to for example just make regular overpayments of say you know well anything really but 50 100 150 pounds or more per month if you can afford that then it will without a doubt one shorten the term of your mortgage so it will reduce the, the term of which you have it. But two, it will save a lot of interest, a, a, a really, really big amount of interest, actually. So yes, overpayments are a great thing if you can afford to do them. So that's that question. The next one uh, that follows on from these kind of things is, how long should I fix my mortgage for? So there's no right answer or wrong answer to this, as it always depends upon a couple of things. One, it depends on your personal uh, depends upon your personal circumstances. Two, it depends upon um, what's important. So, for example, you know, it might be that there's a five-year fixed rate, but it's got a really, really hefty fee, but there's a two-year deal that's really, really cheap and doesn't have any fees. So that could be a factor. It may be that you're planning on moving home in two years and you don't want to have to port the mortgage or you want to make sure that there are no redemption penalties when you come to move. So you might opt for a two-year fixed rate. It may be that you're buying the big family home and you are absolutely certain you're not going to be moving anytime soon because your children have now just fallen into the the um, catchment area for the really good school. You know that they're going to be there for seven to ten years or however long it might be, and therefore you go, yep, let's have a seven-year fixed rate, let's have a ten-year fixed late rate, or you know, let's go for five because we know we're definitely not going anywhere. So how long should I fix my mortgage for? 
There is no definitive answer to that, and it all depends upon your personal situation. Um, of course, it also may depend upon how much you can afford. As I say, that you know, the longer you tie yourself in for, that interest rate will probably be slightly higher. So it may be that you know you need a shorter term deal because that's that bit cheaper and it just feels a bit more affordable. But in reality, there's no hard and fast rule. It's only ever what's right for you at the time that we give the advice and we make the application. So following on from that one, another question, how long does a mortgage last for? So when we talk about mortgages, again, there's a lot of jargon. So mortgage term, the term of a mortgage, relates to the length of time overall you have that mortgage. So, for example, a typical rate, a typical time frame is twenty-five years. That was the the kind of that, that, that's where the, the kind of starting point is. Twenty-five years. Now, mortgages can be from five years up to forty years. So that's a that's a big range. Now, in fact, they can go as low as two years. In fact, not all lenders do that. I should always say this, you know, because I, I'm always caveating what I'm saying, and that's simply because there's no one size fits all answer. So I know it would be nice if there were, but there just isn't. So generally speaking, when we're talking about term, we're talking about the total length of time you're going to have the mortgage for. Now, that doesn't mean that what you start out with will be set in stone forever. So, for example, a common question is, if I have a mortgage over 30 years or 35 years, does that mean I'm going to have this mortgage for 30 or 35 years? The answer is to that, no. So just because you start out with, say, a 40-year mortgage, a 40-year term, let's say you had a two-year fixed rate. So by the time that two-year fixed rate expires, you've then got 38 years left. Now, let's assume that your home has gone up in value, your mortgage balance has come down, and you've, let's say, that you're two years further into your job, you've maybe had a couple of pay rises. You perhaps paid a car loan off, so you've got more disposable income. Now, at that point in time, there's nothing wrong with saying, actually, when I remortgage, which is moving your mortgage from lender A to lender B, there's nothing to stop you taking that term down from 38 years. If you can afford then the payments and the lender will do it at, say, for example, 20 years, you can do that. So the term that you start with doesn't dictate the, the overall length of term you'll have a mortgage for. So there's nothing wrong with having a longer-term mortgage, making overpayments, and when your income is higher, then reducing that down and making higher payments over a shorter period of time. So that's term. Now, initial term or initial product refers to the length of time your mortgage product lasts. So term is the overall length of mortgage. Initial product is, for example, a two or a three or a five-year deal. So that's, that's that one. Um, we've covered off how can I pay my mortgage quickly uh, or more quickly. So next one is, should I use a mortgage broker? I'm going to say yes because I'm a mortgage broker. Of course, I get paid. That's how I make my money. So I'm going to say yes. But it's not mandatory. You don't have to. Um, that said, about 75 to 80% of all mortgages in the UK uh, go via way, uh, go, go go via an intermediary. So an intermediary is just a fancy way of saying mortgage advisor or mortgage broker. So um, that's an intermediary. So an intermediary is not going direct to a bank. It's someone like me or the other people in Mansfield and Asheville that do what I do. So should you use a mortgage broker? The answer is, again, with most things, it depends. What's the benefits? Generally, it's quicker. It's generally 
less stressful. Um, mortgages are more complex than people realize. Um, the biggest one is we tend to get better deals. And of course, we have access to lots and lots of products and mortgage providers that you don't see on the high street. So you get some really, really great deals with, for example, Bank of Ireland, Post Office, Digital Mortgages, Accord. Um, who else is there? There's an old platform. They have some really, really good deals too. Alongside um, exclusive deals. So exclusive deals are deals that you can only get via an intermediary, i.e. a mortgage broker. So the reason for this is that it costs money for mortgage lenders, i.e. banks and building societies. It costs money for them to employ uh, mortgage advisors in their branches. Not to mention the, the salary that they have to pay them. They're then also responsible for the, adi- the advice that's given. So they have a regulatory responsibility to make sure that the advice is compliant in your best interests, but also that if any kind of complaints come in and they're found wanting, then they're they the ones that have to pay that bill. So it's much easier for mortgage lenders to get business in via mortgage brokers for a couple of reasons. One, we act as, to a certain extent, a filter. So, uh, you know, we kind of, part and parcel of it, we have to weed out people that aren't applicable, that aren't going to be able to get a mortgage that perhaps aren't being entirely honest. So we're the first line of defense against fraud. Secondly, we act as a pre-underwriting tool. So our job is to assess affordability. Can you afford this mortgage? Who's going to be the best lender? Do you have the right documentation? Do you fit their policy? So that when we approach a lender, when we put an application in, um, and we've got all the documentation, of course, it's much easier for that particular lender to assess the case because they're getting it all from one source, the right documentation in the right format at the right time when it's asked for it. You know, But also, we've also already established that they are the right lender with the right product. So that makes it much easier. Now, the second thing following on from that is that because, of, of course, I as a mortgage broker and every other mortgage broker out there, we have to take responsibility because we're regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. So we take responsibility for the advice that we give. Now, because of that, that absolves the the, the, the bank of a huge um, compliance risk and that falls on our shoulders. So because of that, and because it's much cheaper and more cost-effective and efficient for mortgage lenders to get business in via brokers, then what they often do is pass some of that cost saving on by way of exclusive rates. So I've had this before. Uh, so typical lenders that will do this or have done this in the past, nationwide, Skipton Building Society, Santander, Halifax, NatWest, um, certainly Bank of Ireland, um, who else? Well, Barclays used to. I don't think they do any more. Um, but as you can see, they're mainstream, well, HSBC, they do actually. As you can see, very, very mainstream high street lenders. Now, not all of those still do that. A number of them do. Um, but that means that even if you're a customer of those particular banks or building, building societies, it may be that we have access to a better deal than you'll get being a customer and walking directly into the branch. Now, we could have a conversation about whether that's fair or not. You know, I'm not going to say whether it is or not. Nevertheless, that's just how it operates. So should you use a mortgage broker? Better range of deals, going to be less stressful. Um, it's going to be more efficient. We take responsibility for the advice. Of course, one, for a start, we're not tied to a particular mortgage lender. We don't have a bias. So that means that, of course, if you if you walk directly into a bank, 
let's say you sit down and, and you sit down in, in your high street, let's say you, it's who you bank with. You sit down with them in branch and they say, yes, Joe Bloggs, um, we can give you a mortgage. But they're not going to say to you, but did you know what? Actually, if you go down three doors down the street, actually they've got better deals than us and they're actually quicker than us and they're, they're not going to do that, are they? You know, whereas, of course, you come to a mortgage broker, we're going to sit down and go, okay, out of what you've told me, given your circumstances and the money you want to, to borrow, this is the best lender and, and, and everything else that we've taken into account, this is the best deal and that's why we're doing that. So we don't have a bias. So you're much li- much more likely to get a better deal. Now, a big thing that people miss off with this is that actually using a mortgage broker is not just about getting a deal and saving money. That's important, of course it is, but it's actually getting the deal over the line. It's actually clearing up problems before they occur. It's preventing problems before they occur, but also it's dealing with and having someone that's in your corner to deal with surveyors, solicitors, estate agents, insurers, underwriters, you know, because we do it on a daily basis. I do it on a daily basis. I'm used to some of the questions that get asked. I know think I know just because of what I do, what to look out for, what to avoid, you know? So that's one of the reasons why you should use a, a mortgage broker. Um, next question. And I'll kind of, kind of, kind of pull this to a close. I'll start doing a few more of these actually, just kind of the in between these Uh Is a mortgage valuation the same as a survey? Yes and no. So a mortgage valuation is specifically for a lender and it's to determine is the property what's called suitable security? Does it meet a lender's uh, policy in terms of the actual type of building? Is it brick and block? Is it timber frame? Is it steel frame? Is it poured concrete? Does it meet that criteria? Is it worth what you're willing to pay for it or the the price that you've had accepted at an estate agency? And does it look like it's in good order? I.e., Is it habitable? Does it have a functioning kitchen and bathroom? Is there any obvious signs of of movement, of cracks, of subsidence, of holes in roofs, of things like that? So they're not as in-depth as, as, for example, a home buyer survey or a full building, a full structural survey. However, they are a very, very good indication because, of course, if there is anything that's untoward, uh, the 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 company that's undertaking the mortgage valuation on behalf of the lender, they would, if they felt it was necessary, say, actually, we need a dampened timber repair report, or we need a drain report, or we need to establish if there's movement to that cracking, or there may be a history of substance. So they're not as in-depth, but they're a good starting point. Um, but again, you know, whichever level of survey you choose, that to a certain extent is, is up to you. So... Hopefully, I've covered off um, quite a few questions there. Of course, anything else, just get in touch via the website or give us a call on 01623-375-007. Hope it's been useful. Hope to speak to uh, you soon. And take it easy and have a good week. See you later. Bye-bye.